Welcome to Innovation Hub, I'm Kara Miller. About a year ago, a poll appeared in The Hill, which is a publication that covers Congress and is largely read by those who work in and around politics. And the poll showed something that didn't seem to make much sense. More than 70% of Americans supported a federal program to create jobs for the unemployed. And we're talking about now a new federal program. It was surprising to me, too, because there have been um, surveys since the 70s that will ask the question, do you think the government should be responsible for employing the unemployed? And they are always upwards of 50 percent. After the great financial crisis, those surveys started reporting 68, 70 percent. Pavlina Chernova is an associate professor of economics at Bard College. And the tremendous support for this sort of big government solution was particularly surprising in a country that is so sharply divided. But the, the basic reality is, I think people understand, if somebody wants a job, why not provide it? Chernova argues it's time for the government to take an active role in employing people, as she argues in her book, The Case for a Job Guarantee. Almost a century ago, Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal did quite a lot of that sort of active employment. And by 1944, he argued, we should be pushing towards a second Bill of Rights. Among these are the right to a useful and remunerative job, the right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and recreation. Chernova says, lest you think this is bureaucracy run amok, something that's going to cost an arm and a leg, think again. Letting people be unemployed, she says, is way more expensive, which we'll explain. So would it be crazy to just offer people jobs, given that the unemployment rolls have grown by tens of millions of Americans in the last few months? Well, if it would save us money, maybe. But there may be one underlying problem. You can't have an economy where everyone is employed. I'm a macroeconomist, and so one of the main ideas in economics is that somehow there is a, a trade-off between unemployment and inflation. We teach our students that there are two evils out there in the economy, and we have to choose. And so sometimes if we want to have low inflation, we have to tolerate high unemployment and vice versa. Only thing is, Chernova argues as popular as the notion is that we have to keep a certain number of people unemployed at all times, it doesn't make sense. People often think, well, we can't dip below 5% unemployment, except there are times, and some of those times are recent, when we've gone below 4%, sometimes 3%, and nothing blew up. So resigning ourselves to the notion that at least 4 or 5% of Americans have to be unemployed, Chernova says, it just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Because we don't talk about 5% natural homelessness, right? We don't talk about that, you know, there might be so many people looking for a home, but 5% will naturally remain homeless yeah. or natural illiteracy, if you will, that, you know, there'll be just a normal day, 5% of children who will not be guaranteed uh, access to education. We don't talk about those social problems and unemployment is the only one that, uh, that has this kind of conversation around it. And so what I'm suggesting is uh, it, there's really nothing inevitable about unemployment. We've got various tools to tackle it. Now, I, I think a lot of people hearing, oh, you know, let's have a job guarantee would think, 
haven't there been communist countries that have tried that and didn't it not go well? You know, tell me, have there been countries that have tried this? Did it go well? Oh, we, we have had countries that have have tried various jobs programs. But I let me start this way. The guarantee part is definitely causes uh, it sounds scary. Right. People are worried when they hear guaranteed employment, but they don't realize that we guarantee all sorts of things in our economy. You know, we have guaranteed access to a public library. We have a guaranteed access to public defender. We've got guaranteed access to education, to security. So this is the sense in which I'm talking about a guarantee. But if you go to the unemployment office, you will be guaranteed that you can walk out with a job option, that there will be some opportunities for you provided there. So when people raise the, you know, former communist country argument, they're thinking of the government being the employer first resort. The one that employs everybody. But that's not what this program is about. What this program is saying is the private sector does most of the employment. But on normal days, even in a good economy, it leaves millions behind. So there is a shortage of jobs, even in the good times. So how about if we plug that gap? What if we created a program where the public sector will just create the additional employment opportunities, you can call them basic jobs, that folks can take when they need them, and the program then will help them transition back into the labor market into better paid employment opportunities in the private sector. So give me an example, like like what kind of job? So, okay, so you don't have a job, and you're looking for one, and you go into this office in this in th- this America where there's a job guarantee. As you see it, what does this all look like? What kind of job do you walk out with? A job that is in the public service sector. I mean, the the unemployment problem is a is a public problem. That is a problem that the government addresses and all the fallout of unemployment. So it will be a public, a federal program that will then create employment opportunities in public service. So. The kind of jobs you can think of, FDR's New Deal programs, think of various uh, green projects that are in short supply. Uh, there's no commercial return for them. So they, the private sector doesn't have the incentive to actually do them. Think of care projects and uh, even community rehabilitation, the sort of things that the public sector is in any case responsible for. But there are some gaps. So you can walk out with uh, a job in the community that could be in environmental work and green work and apprenticeships for young folks, that will be starter jobs, if you will, and they will also fill in some needs gaps locally. You know, when I was proposing, developing my proposal for the book, that happened before COVID, before the pandemic. And the proposal was really to model this program after the National Strategic Stockpile, the CDC's plan that has basically warehouses that dispense medication uh, on demand as needed. So we have a network of job centers in our country. In every county, there is an unemployment office called a job center. But when you walk into that unemployment office, you don't walk out with the job. What if we made those jobs banks, you know, the proverbial, if you will, on the shelf jobs that uh, people can tap into um, when they need them? So if you walk into that local job bank, you're saying the kind of job it sounds like the kind of job that might be there is like somebody from the local schools like, you know, we don't have storm windows. We're in hurricane country. We really need somebody to install those 
And so does that person then say to the local sort of job bank, we could use like four people to do that? That's exactly right. That we we can devise a program that solicits these proposals from the community. I mean, in some communities, we need lead pipe testing. In other communities, we need uh, environmental work. In others, we might have shortage of uh, meals on wheels for the elderly. Some other communities might have, have uh, more at-risk youth to deal with. So they will be project proposals uh, from communities and localities that do this work on the ground anyway, and it is understaffed. And of course, when you, when you think of the kind of perennial problems that we have, hurricane season is upon us. California is once again on fire. We've right. got floods in the Midwest. There is actually so much remedial work that needs to be done just on the environmental side that I think we probably have more work and more projects to do than we have people to do them. So we are, of course, uh, in this moment of incredible economic hardship and chaos. Um, you know, if somebody is like, well, this, I mean, this sounds interesting, but as if we could afford anything now, no way could we afford more, you know, offices for employment opportunities or more administrators to administrate, you know, to, to perform the administration here. Just, this is great, but forget about it. Why don't you bring it back out in, in like five years? We'll talk about it. Yeah, I think this, this argument is it's common. Uh, and understandable, but uh, most folks don't realize that actually unemployment is far more expensive than just giving somebody a job. So uh, we will be paying for unemployment. We know that it's not just that the uh, people, unemployed people lose their income and they don't contribute to production and output in the economy, but uh, they are sicker. They're weaker. Their expenses on medical, uh, you know, medications go up. Their children don't do as well in school. We have meals for the hungry. There are so many problems that are connected to unemployment that they are already paid for, that we will be responsible for them. And imagine an economy that emerges out of COVID with double-digit unemployment. How? What kind of stresses will that impose on local budgets? You know, it robs them of tax revenue and you have to support a community that basically has lost its economic life. It is expensive. And then what we do afterwards to deal with unemployment, we do the standard stimulus package. You know, we try to create some incentives here and there. We provide additional tax cuts, subsidies. And what we have found is with the traditional measures, we still have unemployment. We still have jobless recoveries. They are protracted. So it's all paid for. The public sector is already responsible for unemployment. There is a shorter policy proposal, and that is just giving somebody a job and then creating all of the other positive multipliers that come with a vibrant community, with people that have basic economic security that are doing something good for the public sector. You know, it's interesting. Years ago, I talked to somebody uh, who was uh, working on homelessness, and I remember her saying, it's cheaper to give somebody a home. Uh, very often than to have them be homeless. And the reason was, now obviously that's counterintuitive, a home, like an apartment costs money, no home doesn't cost any money. But the amount of time that those people tended to spend in the emergency room, uh, because they didn't have access to like clean water, all sorts of things, uh, was a lot more than somebody who had a home. And healthcare costs are so high uh, that it made up. It was much more. The emergency room cost per month was much more than the apartment cost per month. Um, 
and it just reminds me of what you're saying about, you know, people who are unemployed uh, are sicker and very expensive in terms of health care. Can you uh, why is it that people who are unemployed uh, don't tend to be as well? You know, because employment is a lot more than just uh, losing one's income. I mean, that is that is really important. And, you know, as a consequence, we have all sorts of we experience all sorts of stresses. You know, you can't keep your home, you can't pay the bills, you're on the brink of bankruptcies and defaults and the, the kids are you know, not doing well in school. So yes, the income matters, but it's also the psychological effect. Unemployed people feel that kind of isolation. They're removed from the traditional contacts that actually lead to a job. The sense of uh, sort of dignity one gets from their work and just participating and being, you know, recognized. So it is quite a multifaceted problem, unemployment. I mean, mortality is associated with it, even suicide rates. And so it's exactly like with the housing uh, example. You provide somebody with a job almost as a, as a prevention method to prevent all of these other social costs and to provide uh, people with a basic floor, just the, the, the minimum standard of what a job should be. And then we do all of the other remedial work that we think is important to train them, to do credentialing, to allow them to thrive further and enter into better employment opportunities. So think of the job guarantee as the stepping stone, as the transitional opportunity. If you are unemployed, and if you're unemployed in long-term unemployment, your chances of getting into stable employment are very low. Firms don't want to hire the unemployed. But now imagine a program that actually provides the public option, the job opportunity. Now we've got a much better chance to integrate into the labor force and to get more employment opportunities. So, okay, so even if it strikes some people as like a job guarantee, isn't that kind of a giveaway? You're saying, no, no, it is cheaper than having that person sit at home without a job. That it is cheaper to give them a job at like $15 an hour and put them to work, cheaper. On multiple levels, yes, because look, we have two choices. The choice is either we have an economy with guaranteed unemployment. This is the economy we live in. And sometimes that unemployment is very, very large. So we start paying attention, but it's guaranteed even in good times. Or we have an economy with guaranteed employment. And in both cases, we will be spending resources to address the issues of those who seek work. And it's better to provide them with work than do all of these other complicated things and not actually supply the actual jobs. Now, I assume there's going to be also cases where this doesn't work, where somebody's given a job and they just don't show up reliably or they show up intoxicated or whatever it is. And like, you know, the people who said we really need this done at the local public elementary school or the local park, they don't really like what they're being offered in terms of who can come and help you do this. Uh, yes. So the, the fact that it's a job guarantee doesn't mean that the, the, the guarantee is there irrespective of what you do. This is a job like any other. If you don't show up, you get fired. You don't uh, get so, paid. But what do you do? Do you just... But yeah, but if it's a job guarantee, don't you have to get paid? I mean, wh no, what's no, the... Uh, yeah, that's a, that, yeah. I, that's a good question. It's a misconception. So just because it's a job guarantee doesn't mean that you could be guaranteed a salary irrespective of what you do. The guarantee is that there will be an employment opportunity in the office. It doesn't mean that you will be paid if you're negligent on the job. I see. Okay. And so I think, yes, and, and, and that, is, that is a useful thing to clarify. You, the second aspect of 
your question was like, what if the jobs are really important and we cannot staff them adequately? And so um, my answer to this is that the really important public sector jobs just need to be staffed with all of the other human resource kind of tools that we have to get them permanently staffed. In my ideal world, would like to see the job guarantee be a very small program. Let's fund our schools. Let's fund our hospitals. Let's fund our municipal public works departments the right way. But we've been victim of austerity for such a long time that now we're seeing, hey, there's so much work to be done. Let the job guarantee do that work. And my preference would be if we had funded the EPA and the CDC the right way with the experts at every level, but the job guarantee is the option for the person who truly is having difficulty and is the minimum basic option that we will provide as uh, an employment safety net. And then we will help you transition to these other more stable and better uh, employment opportunities. In what way do you feel like, if you do, this ongoing experience that we're having with COVID-19, does it highlight why the program is is useful or necessary? Yes. The first question is, how are all these people going to go back to work when businesses are closing down? And again, the, the, the longer we stay with mass unemployment, the more that robs businesses from customers and others will be laid off. So, so you know, we might have some improvements. We're seeing some improvements because we're reopening the economy. But I think that's, that's a big question. So we need to have a transitions program, like just something that guarantees that people can be reintegrated back into the labor market. Think of the logistical work that we are not doing because just because we are not doing the mobilization steps that are necessary. I mean, how many how many sanitation workers do we need to reopen schools and colleges? You know, how many contact tracers do we need to take control of this? How many dispatchers, how many, you know, field uh, hospitals and other infrastructures can we use? And also, we still have the fires. We still have the hurricanes. The environmental work is suitable for a pandemic. You know, we could do it physically distance so I think we're just not paying attention to the direct employment solution. If we were, we would have all sorts of creative ways to uh, employ folks. And part of the job for some of us will be to stay at home. Uh, finally, uh, we're obviously in the middle of a very uh, contentious political season. Can you imagine um, a world in which something like this kind of jobs guarantee comes into effect in the U.S. Um, I mean, just I, I just wonder if you could foresee it actually happening. Uh, yes, I can. I can see it. Uh, I'm not sure when. <laughs> um, <laughs> we have we have gone through these phases, right? We've had this conversation about guaranteeing the right to employment. FDR had his Economic Bill of Rights. The first one was the right to a job. We've had the global conversation. United Nations Declaration has the right to a job. During the civil rights era, we had very bold movement for guaranteeing employment. We are now in a, in a revived conversation. So I don't know when, but this is not going away. This is a perennial problem. And we have new and more creative ways of solving the unemployment problem. So uh, yes, I, I agree that the politics uh, seem difficult and intractable, but those changes also happen on, from the ground up, as uh, FDR said, you know, make me do it. Uh, and there are a lot of civil organizations that, that are paying attention, that see the merit. And so we, we don't know how these forces will coalesce. And uh, at some point, there will be an opening for change. 
Pavlina Cherneva is an associate professor of economics at Bard College. She's the author of The Case for a Job Guarantee. Pavlina, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And on our website, we've got the strange history of the American job guarantee from FDR to George McGovern to Jimmy Carter. It's an idea that has polled well, but of course, it's never really happened. That's at innovationhub.org. Thanks to the people who helped put together this show. Senior producer Elizabeth Ross, producer Mark Sollinger, associate producer Sarah Leeson, and engineer David Goodman. We also had production help from Caitlin Falds. From PRX and GBH, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub. PRX.